Love Joy, the Love Joy Brothers. If you want to book them anytime, they're uh, they're they're free to go anywhere you like them to go. And uh, we do appreciate these young men using their talents for the Lord. Uh, there's uh, many things to learn in our teenagers, and I'm thankful that they they want to use their talents uh, for the Lord. And our first preacher this morning is uh, Brother Josh Poole. I've asked him to come. I appreciate uh, his friendship and also uh, his willingness to come. So, sir, you please come. Good morning. Good, good to see you fellows this morning and ladies. We're going to be in Exodus chapter number 4. Exodus chapter number 4, verse number 1. My dad is not able to be here today and uh, told me to tell you he's sorry uh, that he can't be here. He is preaching a missions conference with Brother Bill Marshall uh, down in St. Joe, Missouri this week. And he was preaching Wednesday through Sunday was the original plan, and they were supposed to come be at our home last night, and he was going to ride over with me this morning. But uh, thank you, sir. Uh, they extended the missions conference there through Wednesday, and my dad said, Lord's really been working in hearts there. I've never heard of a missions conference being extended before in my life. And so, Ricky, maybe. All right. Uh, so he's sorry to miss, but excited about what the Lord's doing there in that church. And uh, Brother Marshall, of course, is excited. Brother Marshall got up on Sunday, said, we'll extend the meeting if Brother Poole will stay. And he said, well, what am I supposed to say at that point? You know, he, Got the whole church looking at you. Well, are you going to stay or not? And so, <clears throat> there. That's where he is at today. Next month, talked to Brother Brandon, and that's confirmed. We are at Mooresville next month on the twelfth, and so we look forward to that as well. Exodus chapter number four and verse number one. The Bible says, and Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. The Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. He said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. The Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again, and he plucked it out of, and he plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. We're going to look at this thought this morning. What is that in thine hand? Let's pray. Ask the Lord's help on our meeting today. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. Thank you for these that have gathered together to worship you. And Lord, to, to grow closer to you today, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word, that you'd use me, use these other men today. Help us to be an encouragement to these that are here. 
And Lord, help us to lift up your name more than anything. I pray you'd help each church that's represented here today. I pray you'd help our nation in the dark days that we're in right now. I pray that you'd help us. Father, that you'd be with us. Be with those that can't be here with us today. Those that are hurting and discouraged today, I pray you'd lift them up and help them as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is that in thine hand is the question that that God is asking to Moses. And you can back up a little bit here and realize what's happening. Moses is in the desert. He's been there for 40 years. Uh, He has messed up his life and what he thinks has messed up probably permanently. Uh, If you sat on the backside of the desert for 40 years waiting on God to do something with you, you'd probably think he was done using you. I don't know about you, I'm not a real patient person. I'm not 40 years old yet. So it's hard for me to imagine sitting around waiting on God for 40 years. But Moses is there because he's messed up. He got ahead of God and what God was doing. He's messed up. He's had to flee from the face of Pharaoh. And he's found himself where he thinks no one else can find him is where he went to. Got out in the middle of the desert. And as he's out there one day, he sees a burning bush. Not consumed. Says, it's not unusual to see a burning bush. This one, still wet. Still going. Had to catch his attention. Gets over there and God starts speaking to him through this burning bush. Telling him, I'm wanting to use you again. Imagine the shock that's coming through Moses right now. He's trying to to wrap his mind around what God is actually doing here. That God is actually going to use him is a shock to him. In spite of what he's done and his mess up and his mistakes in his life, God is willing to use him. Can, can I tell you, we shouldn't ever really get over the, the shock that God is willing to use us. It, it still amazes me that He's willing to use me. In spite of what I am and who I am and how we fail. Man, how we fail. He says, I want to use you. I want to use you. He said, no, 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 not me. No, you. I want to use you. And he said, Moses answered, said, but behold, they'll not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. You ever feel that way? You ever feel that way? Man, Monday, like, eh, they didn't get anything I said. <laughs> Everything that I was trying to get across, they didn't get a bit of it. Every, every part that I was really emphasizing, they didn't catch it. Uh, and the Lord, he said, the Lord hath not appeared unto, thy, unto thee. The Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And I've read over this many times and never really paid attention to it. But I was doing a study through Psalm 23 and came across uh, just, just going through Psalm 23. Not, not just reading Psalm 23, but I preached a series on Psalm 23. And if you've not done that, do it. It's a, it'll be a blessing to you to slow down and, and just break that down and what God's doing there, and to study the shepherd. Moses here is a shepherd in the desert. God said, what's in your hand? He said, it's a rod. He said, throw it on the ground. Do you know for a shepherd to throw his rod on the ground was a big deal? For that shepherd, that rod was important to him. 
God said, cast it on the ground. I wonder if there was a hesitation there. Because I know in my life there's hesitation when sometimes when God tells me what to do. I know you men don't ever do that. I know you just go. God says, do it, and you do it. He says, throw it on the ground. What's the shepherd need this rod for? What, what's the purpose of this rod? Well, he's 80 years old. So I imagine he leaned on this thing a little bit, didn't he? Can you imagine if we had an 80-year-old man in here today with a cane come in? He said, what do you got there? I, oh, I got my cane. Well, why don't you go ahead and throw that on the ground? No, well, maybe I'll just go ahead and hold on to my cane. I'll just go ahead and lean on this a little bit. He's leaned on this rod for a while. He's trusted in it. He's needed it. God says, throw it on the ground. Throw it on the ground. You're a shepherd. You're in the wilderness. Uh, now today, I don't even, I'm sure there are men today who are protected. Amen. But a shepherd didn't have an you know, a Springfield XDS or anything back then. He's got his rod. It's his protection. It's his layer of protection to keep him from harm. Do you know each of us, every individual, keeps up a layer of protection that, that we hold close to us? We let people get so close, but then we get our rod out, and we say, all right, now wait a second getting too close. We don't want to get too vulnerable, do we? We don't want to be too exposed, do we? It'd be horrible if our people saw us as just real people a little bit, wouldn't it? So we, we yeah, we're real people sometimes, but, but we got to keep our rod up to keep us separated a little bit to where there's no vulnerability. I have to keep a layer of defense up. And even when I go to God, you know what I do sometimes? I keep my rod in my hand from him. And I say, hold on, Lord. You're asking a lot today. Hold on, you're, you're wanting a lot out of me right now. You want all of this? You want all of me? You want all of my life? You want all of my children's lives? You want me to turn all of that over to you? You want everything? You want full control? Maybe I'll just keep this rod here for a little bit longer. God says, cast it on the ground. And we say, mm, I kind of like my rod. To be, to be honest, God, I, I need it. I've leaned on it for a long time. It keeps me safe at night. keeps me protected. God says, throw it on the ground. Offer it to me. Here's this rod. He's by a burning bush. There's got to be a little bit of fear. If I throw this rod down, are you going to burn it up? Are you going to consume it? What am I going to do then? There's always fear when we open ourselves up completely to what God wants us to do. There's a big fear there. God says, cast it on the ground. Alright. Alright, Lord. That's what you want. You want me to turn over all of it to you. Alright. And He finally pulls the trigger. And you know what happens? His worst nightmare. He's in the desert. He's now defenseless. All alone. Him and God. 
what he's leaned on for all these years turns into a snake when it hits the ground. And I always enjoy this verse because verse number 3, it says, and it became a serpent and Moses fled from before it. He screamed like a little girl and ran. That's what happened there. I'm with him. I don't have anything. Today we see a snake, we shoot the thing. We don't play around with that. I ain't going to mess around with that thing. If I don't have a gun, guess what? I'm getting away from it. Our our wonderful state has reintroduced the, the rattlesnakes there into Brown County State Park. People posted a video of a, a snake going across about eight foot long this year, going across a trail. Nope, I'm not recording it. If my phone was on, you would see me running down the hill away from it. Moses drops his snake. What he's leaned on all this time has, has now turned on him, and he has to flee from it. Can I tell you something? You know what he did? When he fled from the presence of the snake, he fled from the presence of the Lord. God's still there at that bush where that snake sat, and in his fear of what this snake's going to do to him, he takes off and he runs from God's presence. God's trying to speak to him. Let me just say that again. God's trying to speak to Moses. He's been alone for 40 years. God's speaking to him again. And a little bit of fear comes into his life. And you know what he does? He runs from the voice of God and the presence of God. He's ready to quit. Here God's saying, i got a plan for you. I'm going to do something with you. Lay, lay down you here. Lay down all of your defenses. And trust me. And as soon as he does, he says, I knew this would happen. I knew it. I knew as soon as I get rid of this rod, this is what you do to me. He's got no faith, does he? Before we start judging him too harsh. How many times on Monday do we have no faith? And those that are supposed to be the ones that we're leaning on, you find out they're, they're kind of a snake in the grass. And, and, and now they're, they're backbiting you, and you find out about it on Monday morning. And somebody's running down what you had to say on Sunday and somebody's cutting you and hurting your family. And, and then you know what you're ready to do? You're ready to run from the presence of God. Nah, I'm done here. I'm done. God can't use me here. I'm done messing with these people. I'm done with this church. I'm resigning. I'm quitting. And we're done. Who called us to where we're at? Who called us over to that burning bush to begin with? Remember the shock that God would even speak to us? The shock that He would even want to use us? Suddenly a little snake appears and we're done. We're out. I didn't sign up for this. How many times have you said that? I didn't sign up for this. Look, there's so much that we don't teach in Bible college because there's nobody would go out. Nobody deal with this stuff. Tell the kids, all right, listen, you're going to get abused, underpaid, stressed like you can't believe. 
People are going to hurt you. People are going to say hateful things that you pour your life into. They're going to do all they can to discourage you. Go be a blessing. None of us signed up for that. But we did sign up to hear from God, didn't we? We did sign up to be a part of what He's doing. We did sign up to listen to what He has to say. And so, God gets him back. Come on, come on Moses, come back. It ain't going to hurt you. And, and can, I, can I remind you, He's in control. He's in control. He's in control of the snake. He's in control of the snake. Now, my pop used to say some wise things like, you can't look a frog in the face tell which way it's going to jump. You can't control people. You don't know what people are going to do. But God can. You can't change a heart. You definitely can't charm a snake. But God can do something with it. He says, get back over here, Moses. Get back. Come on. You know it took some coercing to get him back over there. I imagine that was a large snake. He said, all right, now pick it up by the tail. No. No. I've seen enough, you know, nature shows that you don't want to grab him by the tail. Because if you grab that big snake by the tail, he can whip his head around and bite you on the arm. And you're Moses, you're in the wilderness alone in the desert here. You're going to die. Pick it up by the tail. Grab it. Be vulnerable. Don't do things the way you think you've got to do them. How many times do we have to do things our way for God to do anything? Uh, It won't work unless we do it my way. God doesn't function your way. No, He functions a little bit differently. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And so once in a while, He says, go ahead and grab that that snake by the tail and see what I can do with it. And when He does, when He finally reaches down and grabs it, it turns into His rod again. And now, he can do something with it. Through all of that, that rod changes. It's no longer Moses' rod. Verse 20, it becomes the rod of God. Moses took his wife and his sons, set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. God took what Moses thought he needed changed it, showed Moses it wasn't the rod that he needed, it was the presence of the Lord that he needed more than anything. And then took that rod and said, this is going to be a reminder to you everywhere you go. Because you've got a long road ahead. And you don't need this rod, you need me. And once you get a hold of me and my presence and my power, we can do something. But then he reminds him of something here in this verses to follow. Uh, That rod says that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Well, it wasn't just for them. It was for him. Now, it was going to be performing miracles and God was going to use it, but it was for Moses, and and I'm thankful. The Lord said, furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thy bosom. He put his hand into his bosom when he took it out Behold, his hand was leprous as snow. 
God said, all right, we've been through this snake test, and you know his heart rate's still up a little bit. He said, take your hand, put it in your bosom. Don't, I know the Lord has a sense of humor. I don't always enjoy his sense of humor. I don't always enjoy his test. We've already been through this with my rod. Now you're going to take my hand? What are you going to do to my hand? Just put it into your bosom. Okay. He pulls it out and it's white as snow. with Leprosy. Remember what, what got Moses out in the wilderness? Killed a man. I wonder if it reminded him of his sin. He said, put your hand there where your heart's at. Pull it out. What can I do with a hand like that that comes from a heart of wickedness? When my heart's not right, he can't use my hand. He said, you got sin on your hands here. Because your heart wasn't right. Moses wanted to lead. Don't you want to lead? Look, you didn't become a pastor because you like following. You want to lead. You have some dreams, some goals. I, I don't want to lead ten people forever. No, I, I want God to do something. I want souls to be saved. I want to grow. And I want to lead some people that are going to follow the Lord. And I want to help them walk with God. But I but I sure can't do it for selfish reasons. Moses said, I'm going to be the leader of Israel. Watch. I'm going to be the king. I'm going to be me, me, me. And his heart of me killed a man. We better be careful, shouldn't we? Trying to lead people. If it becomes about me, there starts ending up with casualties. And God can't lead us further along until we get that heart right. We pull, pull our hand out for a minute and say, look, I, I got blood on my hands. I'm leprous. I got something that's, that's eaten. It, it killed others, but it's going to kill me. That's what that leprosy will do to you. Slowly but surely, I become unclean. I become a vessel unworthy. I become something God can't use. He said, stick it in again. Well, last time we pulled it out, it came out with leprosy. Next time, what's it going to be? We're going to pull it out and it's going to be bones? I mean, it doesn't get much worse than leprosy. He said, put your faith in me. Put it back in there. Pulled it out. And it's white as snow. I'm thankful the Lord, when we go to Him, can take our sins, take our leprosy, our past, our failures, our mistakes, and wipe that slate clean and say, all right, all right, now that your heart's right, why don't you go ahead and grab that rod. Now let's go back. Now let's go back to Egypt. He went back to Egypt. He went back with the presence of God. He went back with the promise of God that He was going to take care of him. And you know where it goes from there. God was able to do some great things with Moses, wasn't He? Tremendously used. That rod performed miracles because God, His presence was there. He was able to use a man with the right heart 
the right way to lead a nation out of slavery. You know what? We've got a nation around us that's enslaved, don't we? We see wickedness on every hand. And our churches can't do anything until we get the presence of God, the power of God, and our hearts right to where He can do something with us. I pray that He will. Come on, Brother Rick. Appreciate that. Thank you, Brother Poole. I, I, I enjoyed that message. Amen. That good. That, that helped me out a lot. And, uh, and I hope my church wasn't listening. That'll probably preach again sometime. But that was, that was really good. I enjoyed that. All right, let's go ahead and have another congregational. We'll all stand and sing another song. Page number, page number 410, please. 410. I've asked Brother West to slow this down. This is a good song that could be sung quicker or maybe even more invitationally, but I'd like to slow it down a little bit this morning. Uh, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I love to focus on the words when we can, Brother West, when you're ready. Thank you. 
would you please come? It's good stuff. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Josh, for that message. Girls, gentlemen, thank you for your special. And you can't preach after that, amen. We might as well all go home. That was good, amen. And so I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here this morning. Uh, who uh, have supported our church plant through your prayers and your finances, and many of you have done that. And I just want to say thank you for that. And the Lord is blessing. I'll just take a couple minutes and update you what's going on down in Princeton. And uh, it's been now almost 14 or almost 15 months since we started the church. And uh, you say, how's it going? Uh, here's what I say. I'm just trying to stay out of God's way. Amen. Uh, he's doing some good things down in Princeton. And uh, again, I, I want to give him the credit, the glory, and the honor for it. And uh, But it's exciting to see uh, when you go out and, and God has called you to do something. And then, you know, I don't know why we're surprised sometimes that God actually keeps his word. Amen. And uh, he does that. And so, uh, again, church, thank you so much, uh, those of you who have supported us. Uh, in the last uh, 14 months, uh, we've uh, been able to see... Uh, 35 folks uh, accept Christ as Savior. Uh, we've uh, had 11 baptized. and In fact, it was really neat. The last, um, the last baptismal service we had, uh, of course, we don't have a baptistry in the church, and so we baptized eight folks in the local pond. Amen? That was kind of neat. And then the, the baptism before that, we baptized them in the motel pool. <laughs> and so it was really cool to be able to do so. Uh, within the last few months, the Lord has allowed us to be able to uh, purchase seven and a half acres of property just north of town. And so, uh, of course, uh, that was in part because of the investment that my sending church, Blessed Hope, invested in our church plant, and I thank Pastor Ross for that. And we were able to do that, uh, purchase our property. And so now we have uh, property that we're, uh, Lord willing, in the next uh, a few years, as the Lord brings in the money, we're going to be able to put our first building on. And it's exciting. It's exciting to see folks come in. It's exciting to see folks grow in grace. Amen? Uh, we see a lot of folks come in. We've, uh, in the last 14 months, we've had from our community, uh, including those that were there this last Sunday, about 230 visitors come from our community. And so uh, praise the Lord for that. And, and, and I, I'm definitely thankful for the numbers. I'm also thankful to see folks growing in the Lord. Amen? To see as the Word of God's preached, people are taking it and apply it to their life and then seeing God use them to reach others. And that's exactly what's happening. I mean, uh, as we're going out, reaching people, we're having people come in from that. But a lot of the folks are coming in because our, our folks are bringing them in. Amen? And so thank you so much for your investment. And we're going to continue to work hard. Uh, we are the only King James Bible preaching church in our whole area. Uh, the, we're the only church uh, that, besides the JWs and the Mormons that are knocking doors. And so we have a wide open opportunity. And so thank you for your investment. We're going to continue to work hard and uh, put that investment uh, to good use. So thank you so much. Let's take our Bibles this morning and go to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 24 is where we're going to be at this morning. And when we think of uh, men that are our Bible heroes, uh, you know, we think of men like Brother Josh talked about this morning, Moses, and what wonderful things we can learn from his life. Maybe we think of, uh, of course, one of my Bible favorites, David. Of course, we think of him. We think of maybe some of the apostles. We think of maybe Peter or Paul. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, seldom have I thought of Brother Ezekiel as one of my Bible heroes. Until I was reading one day and, and uh, here in Ezekiel chapter 24, and the Lord taught me something. And let me just say this, I have a newfound respect for this man of God right here. And I want to just share with you a thought that the Lord showed with me, uh, shared with me here as I read through the book of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel chapter 24, uh, let's uh, begin reading here in verse 15. Bible says this, also the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, behold, I take away from thee the desire of thine eyes with a stroke. Yet neither shalt thou mourn nor weep, neither shall thy tears run down. 
Forbear to cry, make no mourning for the dead, bind the tire of thine head upon thee, put on thy shoes upon thy feet, and cover not thy lips, and eat not the bread of men. So I spake unto the people in the morning, and at even my wife died, and I did in the morning as I was commanded. And let's pray. Lord, bless us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for these uh, dear men and ladies of God, Lord. And I pray that you bless us this morning. Oh, God, please speak to our hearts, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you to speak to us. And I pray that you would do that this morning. Uh, bless this message now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you know the background on Ezekiel. Uh, he was uh, in the year 606. The Babylonians began the deportation of, of, of the Jews into the captivity. Daniel was in the first group. In the second group, in about 597, was Ezekiel, then about 25 years of age. He was taken uh, to, uh, there the scripture tells us, to Tel Aviv near the ship uh, canal Chibar. There he lived in a house with his beloved wife. And uh, five years Ezekiel lived here. And then, uh, and then we find out that uh, God came along and just like a, a, a Jeremiah, Ezekiel was a priest called to be a prophet. And I'm sure as well as things could be going there in this new land of captivity, Ezekiel was probably adjusting. He was probably trying to get used to this new life he was living. And uh, uh, he would, maybe he was settling into a, a certain routine. And then you know what? God showed up and decided to, uh, to uh, uh, disrupt Ezekiel's plans. By the way, aren't you glad God loves us enough to show up and interrupt the plans we have for our lives? Amen. Aren't you glad the things that we think we want? And by the way, there's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with trying to set goals. But hey, I'm glad that God is way smarter and wiser than I am. And I'm glad he loved me enough to come and interrupt what I wanted for my life. Amen? And that's exactly what he did with Brother Ezekiel there. And, and, and God had a unique and a, kind of a, a strange plan for the life of Ezekiel. And uh, back to where we read at in Ezekiel chapter 24. And, th and this is the thought here that captivated my attention when I read this. One of the things God was going to use Ezekiel to do was use him personally as a sign to Israel. And, and he comes to Ezekiel and he says, uh, uh, there he says, uh, uh, Ezekiel, he says, I I'm going to take away from thee the desire of thine eyes with the stroke. And that's talking about his wife. And he said, Ezekiel, I'm going to take your wife away from you. And, uh, and then when I do, I don't want you to mourn. I don't want you to cry. I don't want you to act like anything is wrong. Now, gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I would be in a mess without my wife. Okay? I mean, hey, it's, you know, not just, not just personally, but I, mean, I, don't, I couldn't pastor my church without my wife. I mean, uh, she, she's my helpmate. She, she's everything to me. And I couldn't imagine God coming to me and saying, Tomorrow, your wife's going to die. And not only that, when she does, you're not to cry, you're not to mourn, you're not to act like anything's wrong. Imagine that. But to me, and here's the thought that, that impacted me. Look, look what it says here again in verse 18. So I spake unto the people in the morning, and at even my wife died. Look at this next phrase. And I did in the morning as I was commanded. When I read that, I'm just like, Wow. Are you kidding me? I mean, God's going to come to me and tell me that my wife's going to die. He's going he's to take away from me the things that's most important to me. And I'm not to cry. I'm not to mourn. But yet I can get up in the morning and when that happens, do as I was commanded. And I want to preach to us for just a few moments on this, this subject, God's greatest expectation. And let me tell you what that is. It's obedience. God's greatest expectation in our lives is obedience. Let me just give you a few principles here. If we go back to chapter 1, and we won't do it for sake of time, but first of all, in chapter 1, God showed Ezekiel why it was worth obeying. 
Before He came to him, before He commissioned him, before He gave him all these, these, these tasks to do, God showed up and showed him. Ezekiel, let me show you some things about myself. We see in verse 4 of chapter 1, God showed up in the fiery whirlwind. In verses 5 through 14, Ezekiel got to see the cherub. In verses 15 through 21, Ezekiel got to see what's described as the wheels. In verse 22 through 27, he saw the firmament. In verse 28, the rainbow. And you know what? All these things meant something. And let me tell you what these things were. They were a glimpse into the eternal. Let me just say this. Uh, I know there's different motivations and, and there's different reasons why different people love and serve the Lord. But let me just say this. It's worth obeying Him. Amen? Amen? It's worth obeying God. It's worth spending our lives doing exactly what He has commanded for us to do. And listen, yes, it's true. There is sacrifice, isn't, it? isn't there? There's things we must lay aside. Did not Jesus say, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross and follow me? There is sacrifice. But let me say this. Anything we sacrifice, anything we've got to pay to obey, I promise you, it is worth it. Amen? And let me tell you why it's worth it. It's worth it because one of these days we're going to be able to look into the eyes of our very Savior who gave everything for us. And by the way, that day we stand before Him. We, we're going to wish we had obeyed Him in our lives. Amen? And for sake of time, we won't go there, but we could flip back over to a couple chapters where God begins to describe all the wonderful things He has there waiting for us. And let me just say this about obedience. It is worth obeying the Lord. Amen? Number two, I want to show you something else here. The second statement I want to make this morning is this. Not only is it worth obeying Him, but then God equips us with the means to obey. Let me show you this. Go to, go to Ezekiel chapter 2, if you will. Let me show you some things here. Once God gave His man a glimpse of the eternal, let me show you what else He did. He equipped him with the means to obey. Now remember, God at this point has not commissioned him yet. He's just preparing him for the commission. Look here, if you will, in verse 1 and 2. Notice what he says in Ezekiel chapter 2. And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me. And he set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. And you know what the first thing God equipped him with, and by the way, equips us with? That's the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Aren't you thankful we don't have to do this thing on our own? Aren't you thankful, man, every time you stand behind the pulpit, you don't have to do so in the power of your own flesh? I'm thankful for that, amen? And there may be some days I can fake it a little bit, but I promise you this, trying to do anything in my own flesh, you know what, it's not going to accomplish very much. I like what Jesus said before, without me, ye can't do nothing. Remember something this, we cannot do a supernatural work without a supernatural power. Now listen, if I'm going to put the effort in, if I'm going to put the time in, if I'm going to sacrifice and do what God wants me to do, I want to make sure it's worth it, amen? And let me tell you how you make sure it's worth it. We're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We're filled with Him. I preached in my church Sunday night. We're going through a series about how to lead people to Jesus Christ because they're getting excited about it. They're bringing people uh, to church, but I want to take them to the next level. So we preached a Sunday night a message I called the X factor of winning people to Jesus Christ. And you know what that is? Being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Being filled with the Spirit. That's why over and over in Scripture we see that God commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's exactly what we see. God equipped him with the means to obey. He gave him the Spirit, but that's not all he gave him. Flip over to chapter 3, if you will. Look at verses 7 through 9. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee. By the way, uh, talk about uh, uh, God telling you how it's going to be before he calls you. Ezekiel, you're going to go out, you're going to preach, no one's going to listen. 
<laughs> Can you imagine that? No one's going to listen. For they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-headed. Behold, notice this, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant, harder than flint, have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And God not only gave his man his spirit, God gave him a measure of hardness. Let me just say this, a minute God, if we're going to be what God wants us to be in the day and age we're living in, we better be hard, amen? We better be hard. Now, hey, not hard-hearted, all right? But we need to have, uh, just as Ezekiel, we need to have that hardness. Paul told young Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Just like our Savior set His face like a flint toward Calvary. Listen, gentlemen, if we're going to be what God wants us to be, hey, let's have, a, let's have some hardness about us, amen? You know what? You can't be a, you can't be a weak-kneed, a limp-wristed, a noodle-for-a-spine preacher if you're going to accomplish much in this day and age. By the way, if you want a preacher like that, open the phone book. They're everywhere. Okay? When we first started our church, we went to, uh, we went to the, the Gibson County Fair, and we had a booth there. And uh, we, uh, we were passing out uh, popsicles and balloons to get people to the booth, and then we were giving out invitations for the church. And I had, I had, I had a guy walk by as we were greeting people. He walked by, and he saw our sign that said Independent Baptist Church, and he stopped. And he walked back to me, and he began to tear up. And he says, i got two questions for you. Number one, do you use the King James? I said, yes, sir. He says, number two, do you go soul with it? I said, yes, sir. And he just began to weep. He says, you are an answer to our prayers. He said, we've been praying for a church like this in this town. He's like, but, but i got to know something. He called me out. Are you going to be a man of God? That's what he asked me. Never met him before. He says, because I visited churches in this town. He says, all the preachers in this town buy their sermons off the internet. What kind of man of God are you going to be? Now listen, hey, I said, brother, his name is Dusty. I said, brother Dusty, by the grace of God, I'm going to be that man, amen? I'm going to try to be what God wants me to be. And listen, hey, preachers are a dime a dozen who are uh, not really God called. Preachers are a dime a dozen who have no hardness about them whatsoever. Again, I'm not talking about being mean-spirited, but I'm talking about when it comes to the things of God, yes, we got to be filled with the Spirit, but let's be hard. Let's make sure we do exactly what God's commanded for us to do, Amen. So God equipped his man with the means to obey. He gave him the spirit, then he gave him some hardness. Amen? Number three, God gave him the choice to obey. Look here, if you will, you're in chapter two. Look here, verse eight and nine. But thou son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat what I give thee. And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me. And lo, a roll of the book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within without. And there was written therein lamentations and mournings and woe. This was the commission God was given to Ezekiel. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll. Go speak into the house of Israel. And then look at verse 2. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat the roll. Think about this for a minute, all right? God had showed him why it was worth obeying. God had given the means to obey. But Ezekiel still had to open his mouth and eat the roll. He had to make the choice to obey. All right, and listen, if we're going to, as men of God, be what God wants to be, it's got to be on purpose. It's got to be a choice. Let me encourage you. Let's make the choice. Amen? Let's make the choice to not compromise. Let's make the choice uh, to, to finish our race strong. Let's make the choice to fully obey the will of God for our lives. 
Remember something, God won't force us, amen? I tell people all the time when I'm out knocking doors and out talking to you, I said, you know what, uh, you have that choice, God won't make you. But remember this, you can't choose the consequences of your choice. And there's people all over our congregation, people all over we know, that we see making choice after choice, and oh, we wish they'd choose different, we wish we could choose for them, but they had that choice to make. But then they're surprised when they have to pay the consequences for that choice. But let me just encourage you, hey, God gave him the choice to obey, and Ezekiel chose to open his mouth and eat the roll. Let me encourage us, hey, when God comes to us and God calls us and God leads us in a certain direction and we know it's the leading of God, hey, let's, let, let, let's make the choice, let's obey, amen? And then I want you to notice this. Then after Ezekiel opened his mouth and ate the roll, God put his obedience to the test. Look, if you again, in chapter 3, what you notice some things here, and again, God asked Ezekiel to do some things that uh, a lot of people, God has never asked to do those types of things. All right, verse 22 of chapter 3, And the hand of the Lord was there upon me. And he said unto me, Arise, go forth into the plain, and I will talk with thee. Then I arose and went forth into the plain. And behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, and the glory which I saw by the river of Chebar, and I fell on my face. And the Spirit entered into me and set me upon my feet and spake with me and said unto me, Go, here, here begins the, the strange and weird command, Shut thyself within thy house. But thou, O son of man, behold, they shall put bands upon thee, and shall bind thee with them, and thou shalt not go out among them. And I will make thy tongue cleave to the roof of thy mouth, and thou shalt be dumb, and shall not be to them a reprover, for they are a rebellious house. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, God commanded Ezekiel to lay on his left side for 390 days, and then to lay on his right side for 40 days. In verses 9 through 7 of chapter 4, God commanded his food to be cooked with dung as a picture of the coming activity. Now listen, God's asked me to do some things in my life. He's never asked me to do that. All right? I mean, look, I, there's no way I could lay on my side for that long. I'm a back guy, all right? I sleep on my back, all right? I mean, my, 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 my shoulder starts hurting, and, and I can't lay on my side. But yet, you know what? God commissioned Ezekiel, and then you know what he said to him? I'm going to put your obedience to the test. Go do some things. Go do some things. And you know what? That's what God wants us to do, amen? God wants us to obey. Then he's going to say, go do some things. Go do some things. Obey what I've said for you to do. By the way, there's commands, amen? Yes, there are. There's some commands for us to be involved in today. Uh, probably the greatest one is found in Matthew chapter 28, amen? What is it called? The Great Commission, right? Not the Great Suggestion, the Great Commission. Hey, that's a command for us today, amen? Go ye therefore and all, uh, therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Hey, that's a command, by the way, amen? All right? And listen, to me, you know what that command says? You better be active in getting the gospel to people. That's a command. i got to be involved in that. God's going to put that to the test. How about this command? And by the way, God would have to put this as a command. All right? 1 John 4, 21. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Amen? Let me tell you why God had to put that in there. Because people can be jerks, right? Okay? All right? And uh, God says, look, I'm, I'm commanding you, love the brethren. Oh, God, but you don't understand. Love the brethren. Now, he didn't say like the brethren. He said love the brethren. Amen? All right? And I might, I might uh, have to love everybody, but there's some people I sure don't like. All right? But it's a command. Love the brethren. Great commission. Love the brethren. How about this command in 1 John 2.15? Love not the world. How about that command? Neither the things that are in the world. 
If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How about this command, 1 Peter 1.15, But he which hath called you is holy, be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And let me tell you one thing God's going to do to all of us. Put our obedience to the test. Put it to the test. Now, hey, anyone can talk a talk, amen? That's easy. It's easy in a room like this for us to, amen, let's do it, let's do it. But guess what? We've got to go back to reality, don't we? We've got to uh, hit the streets on Saturday again, don't we? We've got to face our people again on Sunday. We've got to be involved in our lives and deal with their problems and try to, try to help them figure things out. Listen, hey, God will put our obedience to the test. Amen? So that's what God did to his servant. Now let me give you the last thing. And this is kind of the, the main thought I want to leave with you today. God demands obedience above understanding. He demands obedience above understanding. When you begin to take this journey of obedience, let me tell you, I promise you it's true. There's going to be some things in your life you don't understand. Okay, I'm sure Ezekiel didn't understand why God took his wife from him. I'm sure he didn't understand that. But you know what? You don't see him copping an attitude with God. You don't see him pointing an accusation finger in God's face. You don't see him whining. You don't see him complaining. You know what he see? You know what we see? In the morning, I did as I was commanded. He obeyed. Now he may have obeyed with a broken heart, but he obeyed. And I promise you, you're not always going to understand everything God wants you to go through. I don't understand why. Remember the, the guy I told you about who walked by our booth and, uh, and asked me those questions? I don't understand why I had to bury him six weeks ago. Brother Dusty, six, 62 years old. Yeah, he was having some health problems. And, uh, he was going to have a, a medical procedure done. Had test after test. Everything looks clear. Everything looks clear. Went to get the procedure done. They opened it up, closed them right back up, full of stage four cancer. Six weeks later, he was in the ground. I don't understand that. Brother Dusty is going to be my first Sunday school teacher. We've been talking about it. He was so excited about our church being there. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But listen, I'm not commanded to understand. I'm commanded to obey. Amen. I'm commanded to obey. I don't understand why several years ago on uh, uh, five days after Christmas, I don't understand why my, my, why my brother had to carry a little white casket and put it in a cold ground as he buried his five-day-old son. I don't understand that. I don't get it. But you know what? It's not about our understanding. It's about our obedience. Amen? And so in Ezekiel's life, God was more concerned about Israel as a whole and giving them another chance to repent so that when judgment fell, you know what? Uh, that, that God would be vindicated because he gave them the opportunity. He gave them the voice. Now I promise you one thing. You think Brother Ezekiel's up in heaven all sad and, and all depressed that, that he spent his time obeying God? Absolutely not. Amen? That's why Paul described it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For our light affliction. Are you kidding me? Light affliction? If anyone in the Bible had a reason to uh, you know, not want to obey God because of so much things in his life, it would have been Paul. I mean, come on. I mean, how many times was he beaten? How many times was he stoned? Remember that verse? In perils and perils and perils and perils and perils. Paul's life was one big peril. But you know what he described it as? Light affliction. For our light affliction is but for a moment Worketh for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let me just encourage us. Hey, listen, let's obey. Amen? 
That's God's greatest expectation is our obedience. God will make it worth obeying. God equips us with the means to obey. God gives us a choice to obey. God will put our obedience to the test. And God demands obedience above understanding. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for your word. I pray now that you would uh, continue to speak to our hearts, Lord. Thank you so much for uh, the, uh, how you love us enough and, and care enough about us. And, and God, help us, Lord, just to be able to take our lives and trust you by putting it in your hands. Thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Reiser. That was, that was excellent, wasn't it? Man, I've been encouraged today. I hope that uh, you've been encouraged as well. And uh, that's what uh, these fellowship meetings are to do, not to, uh, to beat us down, but to encourage and lift us up and to lift up the Savior. And so I do appreciate uh, that great message. Uh, Brother Tim, won't you come up here and lead us in one more congregational? And then my daughters have one other special. All right, let's grab a little 542. Let's stretch our legs one more time here. I hate to skip some of these verses. They're all so good. We'll wing this a little bit. 542, Brother Wes. I love to tell the story. I love each and every one of these verses. Let's start on the verse, though.
Again, I do appreciate you men coming out and ladies coming out and, and uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Um, I hope that you would stick around after our uh, services this morning. We do have uh, fried chicken. Amen. Uh, all Baptists, it's a requirement to be a Baptist preacher. You must like fried chicken. And, uh, uh, and then we also have ham for those that don't like chicken. But, uh, but no, we, we're going to have a great meal and I would appreciate if you stick around and fellowship with each other. All right. Well, I'm going to have Pastor Ross come. He's my pastor, uh, and I appreciate him coming and being with us this morning. I can't believe you let those girls grow up. What in the world? Enjoyed the singing. Thank you, young ladies. The guitar playing, I just want to say to you two young men, you appreciate some of the musical talent that God withheld from me so that you could have extra, all right? Thank you. That was a blessing. Wasn't that good? Brother Riser, it's always a joy to hear you preach. And uh, we miss him around Blessed Oak Baptist Church. Uh, and I really miss his kids more than I miss him. But, but we miss their family. It's, uh, but it's exciting. It's exciting to see young people grow up in your church and go out and pray for us. This May we're going to celebrate our 45th anniversary of Blessed Oak Baptist Church. My dad started this church in a guy's living room with a handful of people and you look back at all the Lord's done and, and I, I promise you, I don't know what the theme's going to be for next year. I, I keep going back to this. Uh, I just keep coming up, back to a very simple theme. God is so good. And I may end up just doing that. I don't know. God is so good. And uh, we're going to have a homecoming service uh, in end of April 
and bringing all the kids that are out in ministry back, and, and we're going to preach a week, and it'll all be Blessed Hope kids or or guys that married Blessed Hope girls, amen, and uh, we're, gonna, we're just going to have a time, we're going to have a time. Uh, let me have you go to Hebrews chapter number 13, appreciate Brother Ricky, he's just a, an encouragement to me, and I mean that. Uh, every time I pull up on the property, I look around, by the way, the buildings look so nice, and, and uh, you just keep things so sharp, and it's just such a good testimony, and uh, he just does things right. And uh, I know that that's not done alone. He's got a good group of people here that's just come along, and, and they, they're, they're a team. They work together. It's good when a congregation's working with the pastor, and the pastor's working with the congregation. That's the way it's supposed to be. And so uh, I'm going to look at verse number 17, Hebrews 13. Of course, it's two verses that pertain to leadership and the, the uh, responsibility of the people. Uh, and when it comes to their attitude towards pastoral leadership, uh, Hebrews ends with uh, just a series of commands that's there to help the church. Uh, let brotherly love continue. By the way, every single verse uh, ends, uh, ends with a period except one. It's just kind of ending uh, uh, statements, commands that will help us. In verse 7, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. In verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable unto you. And here he's directing his comments to the, the people, to the congregation, to the Christians there. And sometimes it's very easy for us as pastors to want to come to these two portions of Scripture and want to teach and emphasize the responsibility of the people to the pastor. But I want you to understand that as we look at these verses as pastors, that we ought to be more tender to the qualifications that are given that are attached to these commands. Remember, folks, that uh, there's always in delegated, when God delegates any authority here on earth, that's always it's always conditional authority. There's only one that has unconditional authority, and that's God. Children, obey your parents. Isn't that interesting? And so nobody gets, uh, gets to exercise authority with, and, and without it being inside the boundaries of the qualifications. In other words, if a child comes to me and says, my dad's telling me to drink booze and do drugs and be immoral. And the Bible says, children, obey your parents. Well, that's not in the Lord. And so we got to be careful. And by the way, uh, you know, husbands, that's true of us also. Okay. Even the authority granted to a husband in the leadership of his home and the leadership of his wife is still qualified. Okay. And so as we look at these things as pastor, we understand that God has encouraged our congregation to be tender to follow our leadership, but then we ought to make sure that we're within the boundaries of the qualifications. For instance, in verse number seven, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Well, let's stop there. If we're up there just saying our opinion and saying a bunch of crazy stuff, then you know what? Don't be mad at your people. They're not being rebellious. If they're saying, excuse me, could you show me that in the Bible? Okay. Whose faith follow 
considering the end of their conversation. Hey, this whole idea of do as I say, not as I do, that, that don't work anywhere on any level. Then we get down to verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. Well, folks, if we're not watching for their souls, then that's the qualifying factor there. And that's what I want to preach on. That's what I want to teach on for just a few minutes. And that's this, watching for the souls of your congregation. Watching for the souls of your congregation. Lord Jesus, I need your help, please. And Lord, I want to not just teach these things. I want to do these things. Lord, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so, Lord, help me and speak to my heart. Even as I'm speaking to these men, help us to do what we've been assigned to do. In Jesus' name, amen. What a statement. Have you ever thought about it? Obey them which have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. So there God in this verse has given us part of the reason of our existence, part of our job description. The word obey there means to agree, assure, believe, have confidence in, uh, obey, persuade, trust, yield. Obey them that have the rule over you. The word rule means to lead or command. Uh, to deem, to consider. The word submit means to surrender, to submit oneself. So God's asking a lot of the people here. It's not easy to put down your defenses and put your trust in somebody to obey them. Now again, make sure that they're speaking the word of God. By the way, make sure that their conversation, their life is matched up to what they're saying. And by the way, you know what, what really sells it? You know what really causes your people to buy into this? when they become convinced that you're watching for their souls, that you're watching for their souls. And so think about this. This is based on a qualifying factor. This obey, rule, submit on a qualifying factor. If we are to be trusted with the confidence and fellowship of our people, then we must be diligent to watch for their souls. Now, that's the question this morning. What does it mean to watch for the souls of your congregation? <laughs> I looked up the word watch, and it means to be sleepless, to be kept awake. I don't think there's a pastor in here that don't understand what that's all about. I mean, you know, I don't know how many nights. I, I, I wouldn't even know how many nights uh, that I've lost sleep over somebody in my church. I don't know how many nights that, you know, I go to bed intending to go to sleep and then I can't go to sleep. And usually I'm tired, so I'll go to sleep and then about 2 o'clock in the morning there'll be a stir and I'll wake up and I'll have somebody in my mind. And then I've learned a long time ago there is no use laying there at that point. So I get up and, and I begin to go in the other room, let my wife sleep and just pray and, and walk with God and just, you know, stand in intercession over whoever's life is, is in turmoil or maybe someone's about to make a wrong decision. Maybe they have made a wrong decision. And, you know, it's too late and you, there's no rewind button and, and you just, they're your people. They're your people. And I, I'm, not, I'm never mad at them. I, 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 what keeps me awake at night is what could I have done better? What did I miss? What did I not say? What could, I, what could I have preached, you know? That's the things that keep me awake at night. And this matter of watching to be sleepless, to be kept awake, that means folks were concerned over our people to the point of sleeplessness. That it costs us something. That they mean that much to us. And the Bible says watch to be sleepless, to be kept awake, to be concerned over what? To watch for their souls. Now, wait wait a minute. I believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. I think every word's there on purpose. Now, I think we better stop and say, okay, what's our responsibility here? Our responsibility is to watch for the souls of our people. 
Now, all of you here have an understanding that God made man to be a triune being. We're made in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And he did that. We are body, soul, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. How are you wholly sanctified? I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. Very interesting there, preserved blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God's will is that every Christian's whole spirit, whole soul, whole body be preserved blameless. The word preserved there means to be guarded, to be watched over, to keep an eye upon. The word blameless means insulated from fault or blame. Now, stay with me. God said, I will that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. And then he says to the preachers, now, the one area I want you to concentrate on is their soul is their soul. And I'm not trying to be nasty and I'm not trying to stir up things or bring up things that are unpleasant to think about, but I think there's too many preachers that are too concerned with the bodies and have got, and it's got themselves in trouble. My job's not to be the watcher or the overseer or the protector of the bodies. Now, don't get me wrong. Somebody comes into church like we've so sadly watched this week, I, I would give my life to protect the bodies of my members. But that's not the focus of my ministry. You know, even the spirit, the reborn spirit, uh, that's the part of them that the Holy Spirit can communicate with. And, and, and you know what? That's not, that's, not my re- that's not what's been assigned to me. So, preacher, what has been assigned to us? We are to watch, now all three parts of the Christian, one part that the pastor specifically assigned to help guard is the soul. Okay, that's, that's, that's what the Bible says. I have to understand how my people are, have been created. And I have to understand where my responsibility lies. We're to watch for the souls of the men in our church. We're to watch for the souls of our Christian ladies. We're to watch for the souls of our teenagers. We're to watch for the souls of the children of our church. Okay, preacher, help us with this. What does that mean? Just as man is a trinity, body, soul, and spirit, the soul is also a trinity. Mind, heart, and the will of man. Mind, heart, and the will of man. Now, folks, think about that. The soul of man is also a a trinity. The, The soul is made up of the mind. The mind does the thinking, the heart does the feeling, and the will does the deciding. I know sometimes people say, well, I think that the soul is made up of the mind and heart, and they leave out the will. Well, let me just announce something to you. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't have a Calvinist cell in my body. I think one of the most damnable doctrines that's infiltrating independent fundamental Baptist churches is Calvinism. Say, are you a one point, two point, three point? I'm not going to let you grade me on on a scale of false doctrine. Put me down for a big fat zero. Stop messing around with Calvinist books. Stop listening and following Calvinist podcasts. Get away from their books. Get off their websites. Well, I can eat the meat and spit out the bones. Pretty soon you're going you're to develop an appetite for them bones. You're going to choke on one of them bones. And so mind, heart, and will. Now think about that. Now. Okay, we're, we're putting together something here. All right, I'm going to watch for the soul of man. And what is their soul? It's their mind. It's their thinking. It's their heart, how they're feeling. It's their will, what they're deciding. What they're deciding. 
All right, we're going to build on this just a little while. Let me give you some things to think about. Number one, we watch for their souls. How do you watch for the souls of your people? We watch for their souls by teaching them to keep their soul in the proper order. The proper order. I'm going to tell you, and, and as I describe this, you're going to recognize it because we're seeing an entire shift in culture where the soul of man is being misordered. And by the way, it's happening in our independent fundamental Baptist church. It's happening in Christianity. What is the proper order of the soul? The proper order is the mind, then the heart, then the will. The mind, then the heart, then the will. Now, the mind is the thinking part of us. Aren't you glad God gave us an intellect? Okay, he gave us that for a reason. All right. The mind is our intellect. The mind is the seat of our understanding. And so we need to think right. Let me, let me give you a little formula here. If we can teach our people to think scripturally, then they will feel appropriately, and then they will decide wisely. Think scripturally. This is my job. I'm telling you my job description. By the way, if you're a pastor, this is your job description. Do, does your people think scripturally? If they do, then they're going to feel appropriately because they're going to have Bible thoughts that will generate appropriate emotions that then will feed good decisions, wise decisions. Think scripturally, feel appropriately, decide, decide wisely. I say that to our church over and over and over and over and over again. Now, what are you talking about the proper order here? We've got mind, heart, and will. Let me tell you what's happening. The, the culture is rewiring the human race so that the heart is in the driver's seat. What is the heart? The heart is the seat of our emotions. See, it's much more important in this day and age how people feel than how they're thinking. And, and every once in a while you'll hear somebody say, well, I just can't help the way I feel. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I challenge that all the time. Well, preacher, I just feel this way. If you feel wrong, it's because you're thinking wrong. And by the way, if you're feeling before you're thinking, then your thinking is being influenced by wrong feelings. And by the way, that's liberalism. I mean, liberalism is emotionalism. People walk around and say, well, they see something and they have an emotion and we've got to do something about it. And they never stop and think. Well, then poor, those poor seals, those the poor whales, you know, the poor trees. The, do, you, do you like paper? I mean, we're so worried about how we feel about everything, okay? But that's, that's out of order, okay? What I need to do is use the intellect that God gives me, study the scriptures, and make sure that I'm thinking the same way about whatever it is that God's thinking. Think how God thinks, then I have a biblical thought pattern when it comes to a situation. Now that means what we're, our goal is is train our people to, when they see a situation, to think scripturally about it. Okay, if they think scripturally, then they'll feel appropriately. They'll have the right motion because emotions are the, the result of how we're thinking about something. Okay, and then if we're thinking about it right and feeling about it right, we're probably going to make a good decision in that area of our life. But the first thing we have to do is get things in the proper order. Okay? Shoot me if you want to, but here we go. 
Listen, women as a general rule are going to struggle more with their, the order of their souls. But by the way, it's your responsibility as a pastor to help them in that area of their life. Not to condemn them for it, okay, but to help them. And, and by the way, when I say women, I never try to put all of them in the same boat because I can tell you that there are certain women that honestly do a better job than some men when it comes to thinking and then feeling appropriately and then acting wisely. But as a general rule, women are more emotional. Because of that, they're the ones sometimes in the church that get upset about something. And as, once they're upset, they're not thinking scripturally. And when they're upset not thinking scripturally, they're usually making really poor decisions. So in my private counseling, as I am dealing with situations in the church, sometimes I have to bring in a husband and wife and say, listen to me, I know you feel this way. Now I want you to tell me, based on the Bible, why you are feeling this way. Well, well I, I, that's the way I feel. Okay, but, but based on the word of God. But, but I just can't help. Yes, you can. I want, you to, I want to give you some Bible verses that I want you to meditate on. I want you to begin to think about this the way God thinks about it, the way the Bible says we ought to think about it. And if you're, if you're willing to do that, you can start feeling about it the same way God feels about it. And then you're going to act more wisely in it. Okay? And sometimes, listen, uh, one of the, the groups you're going to have to, I'm sorry, all right? I'm, I'm, I didn't fall off the turnip truck. I pulled it in the parking lot. I was raised in a preacher's home. My dad, 40 years in the ministry. I put 30 years in the ministry. I'm sorry, but 80, 90% of the problems in the church is not coming from the men of the church. Okay? But a lot of that is because of the failure of the pulpit. Because we're not willing to say the things that I'm saying right now because you're not allowed to. Okay? But you're not helping your, your ladies. Okay? And so, and by the way, you have to teach your men this. Because, see, the husbands are the ones, once they have an understanding of this, that can diffuse this. Because most of the time, the women aren't saying it to me. They wait till they get home and they say it to their husband. And that's where a husband has to understand that they need to help order the soul of their wife. Okay? All right? By the way, teenagers. What are we doing with these teenagers? What, you know the whole idea of bringing children from immaturity to maturity, from childhood to adulthood, is basically the reordering of their soul. Okay, go to our Blessed Oak Baptist Church nursery. We're in the middle of a baby boom. We have been for five years. I had a lady come to me last week and said that, I can't remember, it was the week before, last week sometime, said they had 26 babies in the nursery. Wow. 26 babies. We don't have a gigantic church, but man, we've got a lot of gals having babies. We have had for a stretch here. It's just crazy what's going on. Listen, if you come to Blessed Hope Baptist Church, don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. I'm just warning you. And, and, but, but I promise you, if you go to the nursery, those babies, when somebody, some kid takes a toy from another kid, that kid does not stop and say, how should I be thinking scripturally about what just happened? <laughs> You know what they do? They just feel. Whatever they feel, they act on. Okay? If they're hungry, they're going to cry. If they're thirsty, they're going to cry. If they didn't get their way, they're going to scream. Okay? You know why? Because they're emotion-driven. And we're allowing that and coddling that. That's why we've got in our 
you know, universities, we've got little cry rooms. Okay, little, little safe rooms and safe boxes where these college kids, these snowflakes, can crawl in and, 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 and grab a little stuffed animal and go into a fetal position. And what's, what's happened is this. We haven't fixed the order. Okay, now, listen. As you, if, are, you, are you interested in producing young men? Young men. Okay, young men, let me teach you something, okay? I don't give a rip about how you feel. When I was your age, I wasn't even allowed to have a feeling. <laughs> if my dad thought I was having a feeling, he just whipped me for general purposes. <laughs> my dad wasn't interested in coddling my feelings. Okay. There's a reason that children shouldn't be in charge, and there's a reason that women shouldn't be in charge. God said it, I didn't. Okay, you know why? Because, gentlemen, we don't have the luxury of living on our feelings. Too much responsibility has been put on Pastor Jerry Ross for me to go around worried about how I feel. I tell our people, I said, listen, I, 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 think, I'm, I think this is true of me. I, I mean, and, and they test it on a regular basis. I, I said, you, you can't hurt my feelings. And shame on me after 30 years. I've been married, or, or married, I've been saved. I got saved when I was five years old. I'm 56 years old. I've been saved for 51 years. I don't have one excuse to be spiritually immature. I'm sick of talking to preachers that are always getting their feelings hurt. You, you got the wrong part of you in the driver's seat. And because of that, it's affecting your thinking. You know what? You forgot. It's not about you. You're supposed to be watching for their souls and not worried about your little tender soul. It's called being a man. Okay? And so, let's get things in order. We grow up a generation. What we need to do is get their soul ordered properly. My job is to constantly remind our people that it's the word of God and what it says. Not my opinion, not how I think, but what the Bible says. And whatever the Bible says, that's how I ought to think about something. That's how I ought to view something. How God feels about it is the way I ought to feel about it. And if we're thinking right and we're feeling right, you're almost insulated from bad decisions in your life. And so, you know, what we've got to do as men of God is we've got to make sure that we haven't got our spirit soul out of order. Okay? I need to think scripturally about a situation. Somebody does something hurtful, I think scripturally about it. I don't react emotionally to it. I think scripturally about it. And then, I, you know, instead of worrying about what they said or did, why don't you worry about why they did it? What's going on in their lives? What's wrong? What needs to be fixed? We're so busy sitting home licking our wounds that we're not helping the people. And you can help people who hurt you. But you don't help them by becoming them. And that's a lot of times what we do. They act, listen, we respond, we respond with, to, to immaturity with immaturity. You know, I've had some people, I mean, do some really hurtful things and stuff. And if I wanted to, I could get mad. I could go, you know, buddy, wait till the next sermon. I'll fix you. Come on. Or sit home and just, next thing you know, your spirit's bad towards that person. What, what about this? What about saying, hey, listen, I want you guys to come to the house. Yeah, no excuses. I want you to come to the house. My wife's making a meal. 
Tomorrow night, I want you to come to the house. Get him into your house, sit down, listen to me, and look him right in the eye and look and have him and, and, and say, listen to me. Something's wrong in your life. Something's, you got hurt. Something's broken. I know what you said. I know what you did. I don't care about that. I want to know what's wrong. How can we help you? How can we help you? That's called responding with maturity. Not, I know what you said about my wife, and I know what you said. No, stop. Okay? And so we need to, first of all, get them into proper order. We watch for their souls by teaching them to think scripturally. How do you do this, preacher? That's why we teach the Bible. That's why we, we preach sound doctrine. Sound doctrine produces sound Christians. Sound Christians are the result of, 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 of scriptural sound thinking. That from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures that are able to make thee wise in the salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is as profitable and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It grows us up. You know what? The average person does not want to think scripturally. They just want to feel. That's what the culture's taught them. Is you're just, it's more important how you feel. Listen, feelings are more important than facts in this generation. No, they're not. You know what? I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. Coddle the feelings of your people. No, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They may turn their ears away from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Listen, I'm more interested in walking in church and I'm more concerned about how I feel when I leave church than I am whether or not I got biblical facts that will help me think right so that I can feel right so that I can do right. There's an entire set of wrong thinking that's going on. Folks, I can give you a list of them. We, we need to hit these things on a regular basis. Uh, one of the main problems that we're facing in our, in, in our culture is this whole idea of a victim's mentality. Okay, now listen to me. God did not intend for us to have a victim's mentality. For whosoever is born of God, 1 John 5, 4, for whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh our world, the world, even our faith. Listen, folks, we're supposed to be victors and have a victor's mentality, not a victim's mentality. And yet the entire government of the United States of America is geared towards producing a bunch of victims. They want us to be victims. It's because of the prince and power of the air. Satan wants us to be worried about us, to be victims, and have all these reasons and all these excuses why we can't do what God's told us to do. And the average person, if you just look at them and say, yes, you can do it, they're just mad. They're offended. You don't understand. You're not listening. You don't know what I've been through. They want to be a victim. Come on now. My job is when I start hearing a lot of victim stuff, in my congregation, get up and start teaching them how to think like victors, not victims. Expose this whole victim mentality for what it is. That we have to, as Christians, refuse to accept the, the, the uh, mindset of a victim. By saying things like this, your upbringing does not make you a victim. 
But your mindset about your upbringing can, make you, can give you a victim's mentality. Your handicap does not make you a victim. But your mindset about your handicap can give you a victim's mentality. Your poverty does not make you a victim. But your mindset about your poverty can give you a, a victim's mentality. Your past does not make you a victim. But your mindset about your past can give you a victim's mentality. Your race does not make you a victim. But your mindset about your race can make, give you a victim's mentality. He is a victim of domestic violence. How sad when he could be a victor over domestic violence. She's a victim. Watch this. You say, this is tough. Put your seatbelts on. Grow, time to grow up. She's a victim of rape. By the way, I hate that. As far as I'm concerned, it ought to be a death penalty sin. I mean it. If I had the power to make it, so I'd make it a death penalty sin. Sexual exploitation of children, death penalty sin. I'm telling you, I'm not soft on this. She's a victim of rape. No, I can introduce you to victors over rape. See, one thing happened in your past. I was a victim of child abuse. Well, how sad for you. Because you could be a victor over child abuse. Child abuse. Yeah. Now, see, I would be considered, you know, already. You know what? Everybody's kind of, I don't know how loud to say that right now. Because you've already been brainwashed by the culture that we can't stand up to somebody that's walking around. I mean, they got this one owie. And, buddy, they have, they've got it 20 years ago, but they still have a Band-Aid on it. And they want to show you. And it's real bright pink. It's got little dinosaurs, so everybody notices it. And they're always walking around talking about their owie. Hey, preacher, you're cold-hearted. No, I'm, I'm telling you that there's a generation that went across the ocean and, and won two world, uh, World War I and World War II and, 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 and put Hitler out of business. And it wasn't, it wasn't a bunch of snowflakes that went over there and won those wars. And they all didn't come back and go into a fetal position and start talking about how they're never going to be able to do anything else because, oh, my goodness sakes, they were a cook in the tent and there was a bullet that went over the top and they fell on the floor and oh my goodness and by the way where do I sign up for my check? Yeah. And again we're uncomfortable now. We're uncomfortable now because we're supposed to just give in to the feeling generation. Excuse me but that's a misordered soul. Start thinking like the Bible teaches us to think You'll start feeling like the Bible have biblical emotions instead of carnal emotions. And then you'll start making right decisions in life. I knew this was going to be popular. Amen. I'm watching for the souls of Blessed Hope Baptist Church. It's not just that. I could go over there. I spent an entire summer going over 10 different unhealthy, unscriptural mindsets. That's just taken the Church of Jesus Christ and reduced us down to a bunch of ninnies. Because our thinking's wrong. Now, we watch for their souls by correcting unscriptural thinking in our congregation. Let me give you this last thought and we'll, we'll go. My job is not to pastor your church. And your job's not to pastor my church. I pray for you and I pray for your church. But you know what? I don't know what's going on in your church. You don't know what's going on in my church. Every church congregation's a little different. There are some patterns that we're seeing in the culture nationwide that we need to be aware of. But we need to, as 
preachers, if we're watching for the souls of our people, then we need to be aware of where their thinking is unscriptural. I said where their thinking is unscriptural. Now stay with me because I want to help you on this. How do you find out how your people think? Well, for one thing, you got to spend some time with them. Sometimes you, you have to listen to them. And you know what? You're going to pick up across your conversation, uh, congregation because it's amazing how some of this stuff spreads like leaven. There's an unbiblical thought pattern that starts and this person starts talking to other people. Next thing you know, half the church is thinking unbiblically about a situation. But then again, we can't then address it from our pulpit because then the people might think that we're preaching to them. Well, who am I preaching to? <laughs> I'm not preaching to your congregation. I'm not preaching to your congregation. I'm not preaching to your congregation. It's not my job to watch for their souls. It's my job to watch for the people in my church and their souls, which means I have to think, listen to their thinking and, and be aware of when they are thinking unscripturally. Right. Right. And they have the courage to come up here and say... No, you don't understand. By the way, I'm, I'm for expository preaching. I preach through books of the Bible, life online, precept upon precept. I'm not a militant. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to say, if you're not doing that Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, then you're doing it wrong. It's crazy what we've been tied to. Topical preaching is important in your pulpit because you have to address issues that's going on in your church. And you know what I hear from people that are have gone to seed on this? Well, if I just keep preaching expository preaching, then no one can ever accuse me of preaching about something that's going on in the church. Why aren't you preaching about some things that's going on in your church? Okay, I'm going to just challenge you on that. When God had Paul write to the church of Corinth, First and Second Corinthians, whose church problems were dealt with in that letter? The church of Philippi. <laughs> All right. You know what white people are saying that? Because what you said. You got a noodle for a spine. We got to tiptoe around. Some person afterwards might say, Well, you just preached about this because this is going on in our church. Yes! I did! Because it's my job to watch for your souls. Okay, when he addressed the church of Galatia, did he deal with the church problems over in 1 Corinthians or in Corinth? You know, you know what God did by inspiration? He had Paul write to the people, the different congregations, and deal with the issues in that church. And sir, if you're not dealing head on with the issues of your church, okay, then you're not fulfilling your biblical responsibilities to watch for their souls. So every once in a while I'll come to the church and I'll say, you know, folks, I'm hearing now and again something that is dangerous. We have a good church, good people, but every single one of us sometimes begin to think wrong about something. We're not thinking biblically about something. And I've got to help. Listen, my job is to help you. I've got to watch for your souls. That's perfectly okay. Matter of fact, it's, it, 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 it's, it's a failure not to do that. Okay, so you know what you do? You watch for their souls. You spend time listening to them. You spend time around them. You watch the decisions that are being made by your people. Now watch this. If they're making bad decisions, why are they making bad decisions? We can preach against the decision, but let's go back and fix the process. 
Most of the time they make bad decisions because the emotions are driving the decisions, not the mind. Or they're thinking carnally, not scripturally. You can still think and think carnally, then have carnal emotions, then make carnal decisions. My job is very simple. I want to go up every single service and I want to help our people to get their minds and their thinking lined up with the word of God. And that means sometimes I have to stand right up and challenge the majority of the thinking of the culture. I mean, you know how many times I've said in my pulpit, you know, if I preach this, folks, in a university, they would tar and feather me. I'd probably not get out alive. But you know what? We're not in a university. We're in the church of Jesus Christ. And I don't care what is politically correct. I'm more worried about what's biblically correct. So if we can get our men in our church, let's start with the men, to start thinking scripturally, and feeling appropriately and acting wisely, and we teach them these things, they can manage their wives. A lot of them can. And that's not a bad, that's not a bad statement. We need to teach our men that just as it's okay for a, a preacher to walk up and address specific issues in his congregation. See what this whole thing has done? It's turned us to the point where we can't say anything to anybody because it might hurt their feelings. Well, let me tell you how to keep from hurting their feelings. Get them thinking right. You know what, gentlemen? Sometimes you have to sit down with your wife and say, I love you with all my heart. But the reason you're feeling wrong about this is you're thinking wrong about it. And honey, listen, I'm, I'm here to help you. Okay, come on. It wasn't Adam that was deceived, gentlemen. I didn't, I didn't sneak in your house last night, get your Bible, and write those verses in there. And we shouldn't be tiptoeing around them. That's right. There's a reason I have men in leadership positions in my church. Men, imagine that. Men running the church. Men in leadership positions in the church. There's a reason for it. Now, thank God a lot of those men have help meets. And without those help meets, they wouldn't be able to pull it off. But just because the help meet is a help meet doesn't mean I'm going to put her in leadership position. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Well, we got chicken, ham, amen. All right, we're about to start eating scripturally <laughs> so we can feel appropriately, so we can make wise decisions. Let's take this thing. Amen. I don't know if I agree with you. Then you get in that Bible and you study the subject out for yourself. Whatever you and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God decide, but watch this. You, before you do that, climb to the Mount, Moriah. Okay, take, take the culture. And offered as a sacrifice to the Lord. Amen. All right. I can keep old time religion, old time fundamentalists from following the path of this new junk. Because it's all based on exactly what I'm talking about this morning. Okay. We are creating churches that appeal to children and women. And for the most part, leave men out. You know why? Because emotions are everything. That's why we changed the music. It's more about how you feel, how the music makes you feel. That's why we've changed the way we preach. That's why we won't hit some of the things that I've hit this morning. And man, I mean, that's, that's a little bit. We've got to stop worrying about everybody's feelings. We need to start teaching them if you'll think scripturally, then you'll feel appropriately. If you're thinking scripturally and feeling appropriately, you're probably going to make a wise decision about it. And not for me to govern their lives, but to teach them how to be success in the governing of their lives. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless, dear God, this time. Thank you for the good preaching we heard. Brother Paul challenged my heart. That rod, I don't think I'll ever look at that rod the same. Thank you for Brother Rice and what you're doing there in Princeton. Good challenge there. Well, to bury your wife and get up in the morning and just do as you were commanded. And Lord, I pray, dear God, that you'll help us. Lord, the souls of our people are at stake in the culture, on the political correctness, in the liberal faction of fundamentalism is eroding biblical thinking. And as the thought patterns become less scriptural and the order of the soul is mismanaged, the product is never a good product. So I pray, Lord, that you'll teach us, dear God, from the word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ross. Brother West, would you go to the piano, please? I'm, I'm going to, I don't know if this is, oh, he's already there. Uh, I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but I feel led to, uh, feel led to do the uh, invitation right now. I know God spoke to my heart. And uh, maybe men, women, you need to uh, find a place at the altar. God spoke to your heart, and uh, uh, I'm going to challenge you to just uh, do business with God as we tie the messages all together, being obedient to what the Lord has done in your heart today. And if he has spoke to you, I'm going to ask you to come. So, Brother Wes, would you please lead us?